Well, hey there, welcome to another episode of the Profit Profile Podcast from your host, Chris Foster, the Profile Guy. Oh my days, guys, I'm super excited to share with you this interview with MK the Barber. But before you do that, guys, before you listen to the next segment, I really need to make sure that at the end of this segment, you subscribe to this episode, that you leave a review on the Apple Podcast um, platform, and that you rate this podcast. It goes a massively long way for more people getting more reach to listen to this podcast as well. So remember to subscribe, tell your friends to subscribe, and please rate and review the podcast. Okay, let's dive into this episode with MK the Barber. And you're going to hear his whole story from how we got into the barbering industry. Guys, you're going to be inspired by this guy because he is a good friend of mine. And I know you are going to really love this episode. Remember, rate and review and subscribe. Hey, welcome to the Profit Profile Podcast. Yes, how you doing, man? I'm good. Oh, man. So good to speak to you, brother. Listen. I don't know if you don't know our history, but we've gone back like decades, absolute decades. So tell me, MK, when did you first start the whole barbering journey? I want to know the journey from the beginning. The real deal? I don't know. I don't know how old your audience is, you know? Uh, there's some OGs, some new Gs, and some <laughs> skanky Gs. But either way, they're Gs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? It, 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 the whole barman thing started off school. And uh, we were actually on our way to go um, to a party. And we were not on our way to go to a party. We were try, trying to look for something to go to a party. Really, we're just dossing on a Saturday, thinking about what we're going to do or what we're going to get and you know we didn't really have much money at the time but we're just walking down Wolfenstein Market and um and we were just held and stopped in our tracks um because we saw a dildo in the window (laughs) and um we were like why is this dildo right smack bang in the window in the middle of Wolfenstein Market and um so we was like should we get that for Tracy and um that was the girls' party it was that we was gonna go to that evening, right? And we was gonna get it, um, get that for her as a little joke. So of we course, as you do, as you it. do. <laughs> and in the end, we didn't have the bottle to sort of like buy it and get it, and then wrap it, and you know, and then be in the presence of her parents whilst we gave it to her. So, but we saw these clippers, a little trimmer, um, right uh-huh. next to it, and we all realized that we didn't have a haircut, so we kind of put some money in together, and um, literally just went and bought the trimmer. Went back to a friend of mine, his name was Mark Pinnock at the time. Went back to his house and we proceeded to mutilate each other uh, in order to try and look good for this party that evening. And and apparently I was the one that did it the best. And ah. that was literally how my barbering journey began. Fantastic. See, that I love that story right there because that really just lets it the whole sexual thing and barbering thing and music thing and entertainment, I think it just works kind of just like a whole synergy thing going on there, brother. Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it still amazes me this day. Like, you know, so how, how did you get into barbering? It's like, yeah, just... Uh, the dildo. It, it, it all began from there. <laughs> all right. So, listen. So, we kind of met up. So, um, I, I started my journey with uh, a barber called Audi. And um, I came straight out of uh, school and did work experience because I didn't really have very much qualifications. And I, I just, um, not to say that's the reason why I went into barbering, it's just that I just love the creative energy because this is like midi, midi kind of early 90s, uh, late midi 90s when everyone's doing flat tops, patterns, all that sort of jazz. I loved it. I got really excited by it. Now, I started to work at MK, not MK's, I started to work at Audi's and then you joined up. And listen, tell me about the whole experience of working with Audi Cummins. Because he's a G, and he's like triple G for me. Yeah, so, yeah, he's, he's definitely so, a triple G, times tra- times G. All right, so tell me about the whole experience. Yeah, um, you know what, Uri was just a guy that I'd kind of seen around, seen the shop. And mm. um, in my journey of just starting, I um, dotted around a number of barbershops trying to look uh, for a place to work um, and just trying to find myself. But there was, there was always something about it that I didn't like. Barbering was done in such an appalling manner back then um mm. 
that I, I just said no. You know, my upbringing was way too good to demean myself by working in an environment that that my mother wouldn't even approve of. So mm. it didn't it didn't make no sense. So some places I would only work one day, some places two days. I think the, the shortest time I worked at anywhere was two hours. Wow. And um, I left because it was either they were either they were either smoking drugs, having tenants, drinking, betting, swearing, mm. um, cussing. Uh, and buying dildos on. and buying dildos. No, well, no, I don't think those guys were doing that. But, <laughs> but uh, either way, the environment was just like, no, I don't know. Yes, like so I literally yeah. was dotted around everywhere. And believe it or not, I left all these until last because the outfit and the way it looked, I didn't even think I was worthy of going there. Yeah. I didn't so actually feel worthy. I thought, no, this is way too upmarket for me. Like, I don't think I can go there. To the point where I'd exhausted all my options, <laughs> I was um, compelled to go there because I tried every single barbershop in that sort of like two to five mile radius. So yeah, there was talking. nowhere for me yeah. to go but there. So um, I just literally went there and, you know, asked to do a trade test and literally did my trade test with him. And he said, um, yeah, you're all right. We can do something with you and boom, boom, boom. And. And that was that. And then he just offered me the place. And I literally, I, I must have worked there for about, what, two months, just over two months with no pay. Doing, I think I did about six days a week there. And I did everything. He he, he worked me to the ground. <laughs> brother, I was he there for about... the ground. I was there for about six months, brother, doing nothing. Yeah, no well, I, I, I could be lying. I, I, but I, it felt like around... I'm just going back from what I can recall. There was definitely no less than two months. I can categorically definitely prove that. If I had to yeah. prove it in court, I could prove it was definitely more than two months. But yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have it. I couldn't know if it was longer. But um, yeah. the thing was, what made me just think that he was too good, but I still knew I had to work with him, was when I saw him at Afrohem Beauty cut his own hair on stage, feeling with Braille in order to do the competition because his model didn't turn up. <laughs> That's the kind of guy Audi was. And I'm like, <laughs> he is insane. It's a G. I've got to work for Triple this guy. G. But then having gone past his salon, I'm like, oh, but I'm not worthy. You know what I mean? Uh, and and just going there, cut a long story short, we, you know, getting there and obviously I met you and then realising there was this strict regime. And I'm looking right. at it and I'm like, why is this guy trying to speak to me so posh, man? What's wrong with him? Like, he's telling me about, yeah, this is what we've got to do and we've got to do the appointments and this is the system. I'm like, I just better talking to me like that. But it was just the way that you were taught how to speak in that professional yep. environment. I, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a guy from Tottenham. Just grew up on the thing. It's not to say I didn't know how to, um, how to speak and put myself. But I'm thinking, yeah, we're brothers, man. Just talk to me, man. But it wasn't that way. We didn't have that. Nope. That banter didn't happen until it was later on down the line, and you actually knew how to work the system. Then I realized mm. the conversation started to relax. Once mm -hmm. you were doing your job, but until you know your job, this is how we are going to speak today. And this mm -hmm. is the job that you've got to do. And it's the appointment systems, and then it's the books, and then it's this, and then it's that. And it was very much like that. And then when I met Audi in his full force, and I'm realizing, wow, this man's language actually transcends around the establishment. Like everyone has this way that they do still speak like Audi, but yet it's theirs, but it's still a edited version of the same man. <laughs> I think that was the influence of Audi. Audi had this kind of permeating influence in people. And I started there so young, right? I was like a mini Audi. I couldn't help it because he was the only person I worked for, right, at that particular point. So anyone that came into the establishment was like, oh, uh, this is where you do things. I didn't know any other way, but you clearly be in different places. Yeah. So you saw how things were. I didn't know. So I just knew the culture that he put in the play. Yeah, well, that's what I couldn't I get. I couldn't get. I was like, relax, man, chill. Like, you know, but you, you was very rigid. Like, <laughs> but you were still very, um, you was very, very disciplined and organized. And it was at that time, it took me a while to understand it. And, I, and I'm glad I did work there for free and did all that work because not being able to touch the clippers, not being able to get involved with the, uh, the customers apart from actually being the customer service side, allow me to see the value of what went into the job fully. Mm. Mm. Because you're so willing to sort of like get behind the chair, but 
the moment you're behind the chair, there's an aspect of the business that is cut off from your understanding or sorry, your awareness. If you're not aware that it's already there in order to pay attention to it so that you can actually service those areas of the business, you'll be just so into cutting your hair and forgetting that you've got colleagues, you've got clients, you've got the phone, you've got the appearance, you've got the look, you've got the brand, you've got, you know what I mean? You've got the way you mm. speak. And if you don't see all of that before you cut the hair, you can actually do a branding injustice. And that was one of the key things that I remember having looked back. I may not have appreciated it at the time or may not even been able to put it in so many words at that time. But now looking back, um, I definitely know that that was the privilege of being in that position. You know what I mean? I could look back and go, yeah, I'm glad I did that. And it was mm. just really good. But he was militant. I Minute. was late. The man had me do as many press-ups as I was late. If I was late or I did anything wrong, that was cleaning the toilet bowl to the back room, to the, 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 the staff room, to the, the, all the product shelf, the back, under the sink, under the chair, inside the chair, you name it. He yeah. would find a place for you to clean. There was no way that you couldn't clean. If there's no ladder, then you can climb on the station to get to the this, to get to the that, and you can clean that light bulb up there. Mm. But mm. one way or another, you're going to clean the shop. You can't be coming late. You can't be doing this. He was very much a, 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 a stigma for the rules, of which mm. I fully respect and uphold to this day. Because mm. you, you cannot have any, any real success in anything that you choose to do, even if it's your chosen path. I won't define success as, you know, having this or having that. It's The success would be a goal you wish to achieve. Have you achieved it? would be um, discipline. Mm. It's just discipline. It's the sheer discipline. But I didn't realise, because I was so keen to be as skillful and as knowledgeable as he was, I was forced into being disciplined in the way that I regimentally practised my craft in just the hope to be as good as him. So I was disciplined in making sure that I was on it, on it, on it all the time, practicing um getting involved and he did a very good thing he gave everyone responsibility yeah he gave everybody a responsibility and he held you accountable for that role and he did allow you to be a man within that position and speak to you mm. as such until you messed mm. up and then you'll make you feel yeah. like a boy again absolutely <clears throat> and there's many times i remember one time so we we're in the staff room and we managed to back Audi into a corner in terms of and he refused to kind of apologize for something. I can remember this vividly. And we were just like, but you're wrong, Audi. And he's like, no, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was such a moment, but ultimately he empowered people enough. But you could never pull him up, man. You could never pull him up when he was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the beat of the of the time they were spent. I listen, the most fun moments remember I had was going to Afro Hair and Beauty and doing the actual Afro hair. Tell me about the whole experience for you at do, of doing Afro hair and beauty. It was like the prelude to carnival, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. It was. A, it was really a spectatorship. It was a time when um, you was allowed to be like. It was a time. I. It was it, that aspect of it allowed me to understand what famous people feel at a point in time when they're mm. mobbed or there's a crowd and they want their autograph or they want to speak to them or they cheer for them or you've just got an audience that might be at your concert and they want to see you. There was a glimpse and a, and a feeling of that nostalgic um, aura of, of, of fame. And, and, mm. and it created that because, you know, the Bible was so important back then. It was such a significant thing in terms of, the way you look and felt and the Bible was so important. It was really, you, and you felt it. And when you told somebody you were going to go to do a competition, the crowds that you could draw that would come down there to support you was unbelievable. The people were just mm. interested. The general public were interested in seeing it. It was a mm. new art craft, especially with the way that we were doing designs back then. And designs had come mm. in sort of like in the 80s. And we had continued mm -hmm. that, you know, in the late 80s to the 90s. And the fact that you know, people were so intrigued by it. The better you could do it, more people. And the general public were interested. It really, um, it really resonated with me. It really did. And the, the competition itself, the whole lights, glamour, 
the the stage, the 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 the, the them saying out your name loud, people cheering, people from this side of London, that side of London, people from Birmingham, Manchester, people would come down, and we would even see famous faces there. Even at the time, Lennox Lewis used to pass through there. Destiny's yeah, child had come through there. What? Do you know what I mean? So yeah, you know those those sort of, uh, uh, um, and I only mentioned those two because they're the only two that people that now people would recognize. I would say other names and like, who are they? Yeah, there were who other they? names. But but they were right. famous just, then, but yeah. they're not now. Yeah. But no, famous yeah, people yeah. would pass through that exhibition, that event, and it gave it such a prestige. And um, and obviously, the guys would be there for the women. The women would be there for the guys. But it was... Oh, uh, man, it was, it, was, it was just like, it was, it was the kind of pre-carnival... Like, let's check everybody yeah, out. Let's, I remember going, I remember yeah, going, and we have got, we used to go there in a, as an outfit, as a unit. Oh, and it felt bro. so good to be this massive team, all almost yeah. dressed the same with the logos and the t-shirts yeah. and the, the hats yeah. and the and the and the equipment and the way that we moved and worked. It was, I loved it. I, I continued yeah. it on even after leaving him, and I, and I will always continue it on because it, it, it's a sense of sense of team, sense of family when you do that. Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, it was an great. identity. I, I loved it. I mean, at the time, right? So we had the tribe. The different tribes were, I think the biggest one were us, APHS, all these special issues. And back then, do you remember Monsignor? Yeah, it was, it was always the bar. So there was, was, there was North, it North was, versus yeah, South it was London. And oh, man. And it was a con- constant battle. Constant yeah, battle, constant battle. <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm about. To, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do like five of this uh, podcast as well. So I'm gonna speak to him about the whole kind of the battle, the actual yeah, battle. Yeah, you know what? And, and North London barbers and South London barbers. Because oh, he was, absolutely. You know, he's a he's a he's a little bit older than us. Um, uh-huh. and um, I think his hairline suggests that for me. <laughs> <laughs> but because uh, I still got my A. long flowing hair, you see, so I can. Oh, I can don't go there. It, Stop you know? it. <laughs> But um, but yeah, he was an inspiration. I have to admit, the way that he moved, yeah. the way that he had this little uh, um, glamour and sort of not even glamour, he had a very it good swag. It was swag. Yeah, and it he, was swag. And he I devoured re- it. He looked into yeah. it, and you could tell that he he was a showman, and he liked the showmanship. And he, I, I yeah. would actually uh, categorically say that he probably brought the showmanship to that that exhibition. Yeah, because people used to definitely. put on a show. But he would actually show off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. and um, which was good, and it made it more interesting. It did, and then as that happened, you know, we just take it up another level. And I and and I did, and you did, and and all the others that 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 kind of came um, after us um, a little bit mm. started to uh, um, push that exhibition and that actual competition a lot further. It was it was. Great times, absolutely, really, really yeah, good times. Absolutely, I remember one thing what Five used to do. He used to walk around with the clippers wrapped around his neck, yep. and he used to go like he's a madman. And he was like, "Look at people," you like, and he was almost like, "I'm gonna tear you apart." And he was the whole psychological thing. He yeah. was like, he was like the Mike it was Tyson, that, yeah, it was that Tyson thing. attitude. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. was. It really was. Yeah, it really was. It really was. Nah, fantastic. I mean, I love, you know, Afro Home Beat. It was amazing. So tell me about your journey after leaving Audis. What did you do next, your next phase? Because obviously Audis was a show in spread. I mean, he was influential in my life and he was influential in your life as well. Where did your career move after leaving Audis? Um, I, I really just sort of like, um, just uh, kind of decided to start on my own in a very um, mm. small space. Um, the unit and um, literally just build a shop. Literally, mm. like just back of the house, build a shop, mm. and mm. Um, decided to just start there. Um, mm. I didn't really want to work for anyone else after leaving there because there was no one doing things as good or as professional as he. So anywhere I went mm. was just it was it felt like a downward slope. Um, so it better that I just start my own. I had no intention of being a boss. I didn't really want to own a shop. I had no, I, it really wasn't my intention, but um, just things just went a little bit sideways there at that, at that time. And it was just the right time for me to leave. So um, yeah, so just starting my own and just getting on and just building my clientele. And the whole thing was just about, yeah, just building the clientele and getting into competitions. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, first year you do it, you know, after seeing what all you had done and learning, you know, didn't quite win. Didn't quite win the year after that. And it took me like three goals. And on the third goal was when I won. 
and I, and mm. I believe I what won. What did you win? Which one Sorry? did you win? Which one did you the win Battle on that, of the first, that first round? Battle of Barbers, right. Um, yeah. I won Battle of the Barbers, and then I won um, Barber of the Year, the same year. Mm. Mm. And I think after that, I then proceeded to win a competition, a, 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 or like, you know, yeah, a barbering competition every single year, right up until 2010. Mm. Yeah, literally every from 98 to 2010, I'd won something every single year. Mm. I went in for something mm. and won it. And it wasn't a year that mm. I didn't win something right up until mm. 2010. And, and then I dotted around a couple of competitions here and there and still w- winning um, up until only probably about a couple of years ago, a few years ago, maybe about mm. 2013 was probably the last time I won anything in terms of mm. um, doing competition. After that, it's probably been honours, really, honorary awards. Mm. Um, for certain mm. things, but yeah, I just really got into competitions after Audi. And um... so, how did you prepare for these competitions, uh, MK? Because obviously, um, it's a great way of promoting yourself and building your profile. What what kind of what kind of thing did you do to actually get yourself into the mindset of winning these competitions? What what kind of strategy did you employ to get yourself to that kind of formula of like constantly winning? Shadow box. Okay. Let's tell, tell about shadow box. Let's go into the shadow boxing method. Shadow boxing. I took the idea from the shadow boxers. They would they would box their shadow and move around. And the whole idea was to obviously you can't beat your shadow, but it was to help increase your speed. Um, now, and then at the same time, what they would do is they would walk themselves through the whole fight and imagine the whole fight round by round. Um, mm. So I took that ideology and used it when I was cutting. So I would shadow cut. So there would be no one in my chair. I'd literally cut the whole haircut in my mind and walk around Mm. the chair, move around the chair. I'd still pick up my comb, still pick up my brush, still pick up my spray, still pick up my hairdryer, still pick up the colours I might use and still spray it and still do it. And But I would still imagine that it's the head I'm doing it on. Mm. And if I couldn't complete it, within the 20 minutes that I had and there's no one there, there's no way I'm going to be able to do it when there is someone there. Mm. So the first thing mm. was to finish it in 20 minutes in my head, but literally going through it step by step. I couldn't cheat in my mind. I couldn't try and go, oh, yeah, let's pretend that bit's faded. No. I would literally mm. go through the cut, stroke after stroke, clip after clipper, comb after, you know, and literally do it in my head, line after line, Remembering that, you know, you cut it here, you cut it there. It's not going to be clean. You'll have to go over it two, three times, you know, that sort of thing. And I would literally do it like mm. that in order mm. to get it done. And I would time myself like that. And I would wait till I got myself to near enough half the time before I'd bring in a model. Wow. I found that I was able to do the cut. Because sometimes there were some competitions I won where I didn't even practice more than once because of the fact that I'd already practiced it so many times in my head I'd already, I'd already lived the cut mm. I lived the haircut already, I didn't even realise and even to be honest with you even now as I'm speaking now I'm realising how important it is to walk through your goal in your mind mm. Mm. because I think it gave me a little bit of relaxation because I'm doing it more so now, even with my goals as I have now, walking through them a little bit more and it's making me less impatient. Mm. I'm, I'm not as impatient mm. as, I, as I once was. Before I was rushing 100 miles an hour because you just want it, you want it, you're hungry, you're hungry. But the, the lack of vision doesn't allow you to sort of like get it done right in the right way. Mm. You sort of mess mm. up, mess up, mess up, and you can you can waste years and months doing that. So that that competition, and that's the reason why I still like designs to this day, and, and I'll still do it. I don't care how popular or unpopular people might think it might be, um, but it's still very much um, admired and respected because mm. of, it's a craft whereby if you do it, you cannot afford to get it wrong. If you get it wrong, you got to wait two mm. weeks to correct it. Let's let's not get it twisted. Any other art mm. form, mm. just cover it, paint over it, spray over it, um, get another one, put another color on top. Do you know what I mean? And and, mm. and spray it again. Um, 
and even tattoo artists, some people might say argue with the title, but I'll tell you what, is he still he can still put it on with a template and then mm. colour in the template if he wishes mm-hmm. to. You, you get very few really talented freehand tattoo artists. They might be very good at shading in and that, but they can draw a little bit, but they still have to draw first, which gives them the opportunity to mess up, rub it out and do it again. Whereas in our art, art form, mm. the design, you can't. And the level of focus mm. that you have to have knowing that you cannot make a mistake, oh, it's, oh, it's been so prevalent to my profession in learning how to just keep focus, you know, mm. and, and maintaining that. Uh, it's a skill that I don't, there's not many um, other aspects of hairdressing or barbering that can give that. I, I believe in, in barbering, it's one of the ultimate forms of creativity design work because you know you can go off piste you can stick to a formula but the creative freedom that allows you to create leverage is second to none yeah definitely but you still and you've still got to make it fit within some form of conventional bounds of a haircut Mm -hmm. by at least not allowing someone to look like a complete madman that needs to be in a (laughs) straitjacket unless that's the look he was going for (laughs) yeah because I've seen you do a straitjacket shoot (laughs) you know yeah 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 well this is it i think that's the beauty of the the kind of art form and uh, so you know you you started to obviously get a name for yourself build a name for yourself now starting in the show world and going like doing uh, all the shows and stuff like that doing design work did that help to obviously um differentiate yourself when it comes to performing on stage? And yeah, well, you know, I, I, I did hairdressing at college. So I, I was a qualified hairdresser, you know. Um, I did hairdressing. I, I actually did some hairdressing in Audis. Um, not much, but I still did hairdressing. When there was needed, I still worked along the side. I did. I, I worked in um, salons even after um, Audis for a little bit. And I was doing ladies in my own place. Um, but in terms of... Um, I've kind of lost track of my um, question, to be honest with you. I, I, I forgot. Uh, right. So I was talking about um, design work. Uh, did it have to differentiate, differentiate you in the, in the, in yes, the sorry. space yes, of sorry. the show yes, work? Yes, it did. Things. It definitely did. It differentiated me on my mm. space. But I kind of focused on it and used a lot of different skills that I'd learned from all these different um, genres of hair. The hairdressing combined with my barbering, the European hair mm. combined with my Afro, and all of that together, mm. along with my artwork that I um, did at um, school and still continued and liked to sketch and wanted to get in it, I kind of combined that all to sort of like get into that design work, like really get into it. And I think that was mm. allowed me to create a niche uh, for myself and then say to myself, right, you know what, I'm going to stick to this because there's not many people that can do it as good as I can. So if I stick to this, then I can generate a name for myself, which would then allow me to then show off other aspects of my skill work. But I will use this mm. to open doors. And that mm. was that. I think, I, I think, I, I think that's fundamental, mate. I, I just, what you touched on right there is like, I think it's important to kind of almost, it's almost be known for something, but you know that you can do more than that, but you're known for something. And then of course you can open a door and introduce. I think a jack of all trades it's very difficult to kind of get known for something. And you were known for the design. Yeah, and I still am. And I and I still I still advertise that fact and I still put it out there because I still think it's an art form that is just lovely. If you do it lovely. Mm. You know, um mm. I, I did a I did a portrait of Lena Horn the other day and posted it up there. And I just mm-hmm. love that the image of uh, you know, of that old school 1920s hairstyles and the way that mm. some of the makeup was done, not too overly done, but just subtle and the smile and the teeth and everything about that that whole that whole ladylike fashion. I, I really liked it back then. And, and and I still like to be able to get that movement within a design. I, I look at what is um really attractive over the years in terms of movement. And you know, anything with a lot of curvature will have a feminine aspect to it. Anything with a lot of strong lines will have a masculine aspect to it. But still, the most common art form to this day is still Paisley and pop art. And pop art is like what 
mm. famously known as uh, um, what's his name? Um, oh gosh, I've forgotten his name now. The one with the uh, the hair, mad hair, white hair with the glasses, and um, I'm going to try and help you now. It will I'm come to my me. brain. Come to me, but um, yes. But anyway, that the, the pop art and that art form Paisley uh, are still the most popular art forms uh, to this day. And because of that, that's what I use in my art form. So I used to kind of study the movements of the Paisley, understand why they were. And it was so good being taught that art form from Audi and still be able to use it 20 years later to attract attention and change it. And then, and then sort of like, you could almost say pervert it by, by um, having different aspects of it, but and looking at art as what it is, and knowing that there's positive and mm. negative aspects to a design when doing it in here, and then how do you illustrate mm. it? And you can combine the two and change it up, and I, that and that was what I liked about design and using it. And when you understand art form like that, you can manipulate and change it and add it to what you're doing. And then to top it off. You didn't see the technology was coming out with the with you know with the pencils and the gel colors. Now the airbrush. Then you've got the fibers. Then you've got all of these other things that allow you to to do hair and work with hair. And yeah, it really did allow me to to make a niche. And that niche then did open doors to get on the stage because as you're doing that and you're winning competition, you get the confidence to do that. You know. And I started working mm. with uh, with Wall. You know, to yourself, you was working with Wall. Um, you know, they were like, oh, you see, you're getting popular. We're going to need more help. You're like, hey, hey come to Wall. We've got to work with Wall. And da, da, da. and we used to work with Wall and we rocked it. We had people sitting down for hours watching us, literally just sitting down. Mm -hmm. when, when it used to be, a, when Salon International was at Wembley, we killed that place. That place was just like, mm -hmm. that was our domain. We were like the first barbers to be on that stage, demanding crowds like that. That was the places mm -hmm. that are known for Trevor Sorby, Nick, uh, Nicky Clark, and uh, Patrick Cameron, and and uh, you know what I mean. It was it was for those mm -hmm. guys. We were the first guys to just go in there and do that sort of stuff. It just wasn't seen, and and, and we were kind of holding that space until about a good two thousand and four, five, when Barbin took this real surge forward, and just mm. actually just literally just catapulted and just. It just exploded, but yeah, creating a niche mm -hmm. is, is 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 was a key thing in getting on stage, and then using that to be able to work with um, companies because you overstood that that product, that clipper. We, I mean, look at the things that Audi used to do. He used to make us actually um, not only clean the tools, dismantle the tools, and put them back together. And any take girl it apart. Can, if you wanted we a solder. Go out there. Bruv. You can go yeah, and put five of those clippers together, it. and you got a clipper. <laughs> That's you, and you had to learn how to solder, That's do the right. wiring, the plugs. Yep. Put the um the the plug. What you call it? The, the, what you call it? The levers in. You had to learn how to put the coils yep. in. You had to learn how to literally build a clipper yep. from scratch. So we knew it. We knew literally. that stuff. We literally. Knew it. So to yeah, go and yeah. speak to uh, uh, the the crowd or the public about clippers and what clipper was good for your hair and if you want to do this and get this out of it, that was a. If we did that, it wasn't even a a problem for us. I think the, the hardest mm. thing to do was to keep the focus or keep the attention on the crowd to deliver the message, which was how you can use it, where you can buy it, and this is what I'm doing with it. So, and, and then keep the, the momentum around the education, around the sales, around the entertainment, around the laughter, and delivering it all simultaneously there at the same time. Yeah. So let me let me go to that. Let's break that whole down, whole cycle down. So what would you tell somebody right now if they're looking to do presentation work for a brand? Um, know yourself. You know, we, we've we've done we, we've done we've done all the shows. Right? We like we're OG yeah, know this yourself. sort of thing. But let's let's break it down. Somebody's know trying yourself. to get into that the would, stage that would be work. What, might be let my me advice. break know it yourself. down. And the way, way how you get to know yourself is you've always got to be taking pictures of your work. If you're taking pictures of your work, you can easily look back on your work and criticize it. We've all been on holiday. We've all got old mm. pictures and we look back at the pictures and we go, I don't not who the hell cut my hair. <laughs> they need shooting. 
And then you look down and you go, mm. what was I wearing? Why was I into that fashion? Mm-hmm. So we've all got pictures like that. So the fact that we can look back on ourselves and critique ourselves just based on the fashion and the hairstyle, then you taking pictures of your own haircuts will allow you to do the same and critique yourself. And then you'll look back on the haircut and go, no, I know I can do better than that now. And it'd be like, well, why was you doing it that way then? And then you look at what you were doing, mm. you look at what you was learning, and you just ask yourself, well, if I'm doing the same thing and I'm, and I'm actually not any better, that's probably more worrying. If you can look back at hairstyle mm, and that's right. I'm not any better, but, you know, but yeah, at the end of yeah. the day, if you're, if you're really serious about yourself, you should be able to critique anything you've done in the past and say that you could do it better, you know? Mm. Um, and, and that allows you to then be self-analytical and go, you know what? What was I learning? What was I doing? What was I studying? What was I, uh, where was I going? And know that you need those things to develop yourself. And if you have been doing those things, then you know you need to be doing more of that in order to develop yourself. But that would be one of the first things that I would say to do because that allows you to then have the confidence to, to then approach one of those companies. Yeah. And if you wish to approach one of those companies, you need to be involved in the industry. You need to be at least subscribing to the magazines and going to the events and going to the shows. And before you go to a company, you want to be able to study the company because you don't want to be. I, I would, I never liked the idea of being in a position where I've got the begging bowl out. Yeah. I don't like that. I think I want to go mm. somewhere and know that they're going to say yes. So in order for them, in order for me to believe that they're going to say yes, I would have to know what it is that they need. What are they trying to do right now? Watch them. Go to the show. What are they trying to do? Hmm. They're selling this or they're doing this. Let me look at their marketing. Let me look at their shows. Let me look at their brochures. Let me look at their website and study. Look at all of those things and then ask yourself, okay, this looks like what they're doing. And now you look at yourself and then you ask yourself, how could you help them? Because if you don't ask that question first mm. and you just go there saying, yeah, I'm just going to go work with you, sometimes that company is not even ready for you. That's right. So if you don't go there knowing what you can do to help them, they may say no to you and you might take that as an immediate diss and put yourself down because you're thinking that you're not good enough or you're not ready or you're not wanted mm. or mm. whatever. And it's just that they just don't understand how you can help them. so look back and see what you can do and you go there with a proposal this is how i can help you that was how i worked Mm -hmm. with andy when i initially went with them i i followed that guy for a whole year the guy at the time because andy was owned by a company called combi and um Mm. um combi um bought the rights to sell andy's in the uk and i could see what they were doing and i literally was trying to call this guy and i you know i actually called this guy religiously the same day, every week for a year. And he literally blocked me. Not when I say blocked me, because, you know, it wasn't, you didn't have the technology on the phone to just block somebody, but you could just not answer their call or or just sort of... um, Yeah, yeah. They yeah, see was you yeah. coming and through, and I thought, nah, I'm not yeah, going to happen. I'm not going to go to conversation. What can I say? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, MK, I'm busy right now. I'm on the road. Oh, MK, I'm busy right now. Oh, I, I will have to talk to you. I will call you. I will... There, was a, there was a story for a whole year mm. to the point where I was like, you know what? Mm. I'm not going to do this anymore. I literally have to go there. And let me see if he's going to do this in my face. And went to an exhibition and went to his face and said to him, I want to work with you. Um, but, you know, and how I started the conversation was, hello, it's me. And he said, oh, MK, how you doing? Da, 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 da. And I went, oh, yep, yep, yep. And I went, look, I've booked a table for lunch across the road at this hotel, nice hotel. Just need 20 minutes of your time to tell you why you need me. If you don't need me after the 20 minutes and the lovely lunch that, I've, that you'll have on, on, at the expense of me, um, then you can just go back to your stand. No one would have missed you. So it'd been 20 minutes. You would have had something to eat had a bit of good conversation, heard something that you may feel that you might need to hear or not need to hear, and you can go back on your merry way and you won't hear from me again, I'll go on my merry way. So that was a, a refusal, wow. that, that was an offer that he couldn't refuse, afford to refuse. It was only 11 o'clock. Of course. And I'm telling him, I'm putting on a, a, a lunch across the road at a nice hotel, all paid for, everything else is all there, and it's only 20 minutes. It's like, yeah, I could do it. I could do with 20 minutes off this lot. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? So he came, I did my presentation, <laughs> and you know, I did I did the best presentation I possibly could. I represented myself as a as a as a brand, as a company at the time, and he loved it. And from there, they literally just started flying me all over Ireland, different parts of the UK, a couple of places in um uh, 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 in in Europe, and I, then they uh, proceeded to push out my first educational DVD, and they paid for it, hook, line, and sinker, mm. and then started putting out my own educational program, mm. um, one that I didn't get to pursue with uh, Wall when I was there because I, I left by that time, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I had the chance to pursue and put that in place. So yeah, so that was that, and I literally just kind of like it just kind of rocketed from there the name just started getting about and then the next thing you know you're you're doing shows here there and there you're working with uh product companies you're working with uh magazines you're doing shows you're doing uh fashion shows you're doing video shoots you're doing um product companies you're doing endorsement shoots endorsement videos i did tv shows it just it, it was it's been a really really interesting career um, a lot of the doors that we had to knock down because these doors weren't open. There weren't many barbers doing this sort of thing beforehand. So being accepted, and sometimes I'd have to do hairdressing in order to get in the door because it was my hairdressing mm. background that allowed me. So if they would say, oh, can you blow dry? Can you tongue? And I'd have to say yes. It might not have been the best, but believe you me, two days before that, all I was doing was blow drying and tonguing on my mannequin heads to make sure that I would... I'd to get it sorted. Rust. Yeah so that I could move and elevate because mm, mm, it wasn't mm. really much great hairstyles you'd have to do for a fashion show or a shoot. It was usually just, can you put the hair up? Can you tie it back? You know, can you put a couple curls in it? It was, you know, you never really had to cut. It was really generally just styling. You might have to trim because maybe you might mm. need to trim just to get it, but you never really had to cut when it came to the women. So, but it allowed me to get in the door and do some men's and get about. So, I, I, yeah, I was kind of really grateful for all of the experiences, really. Mm. I think I think the major takeaway I got from that was just the whole fact of knowing what they want. That's what resonates with me from just having that conversation is knowing what somebody wants, because ultimately people, they want help. They're only thinking about themselves. And it, can you fit into that framework of what they want? Yeah. Not what you want, what they want, because we all know what you want, but nobody cares what, what we want. You wish they were looking for them themselves. So you have seen studied the actual product company and gave them what they wanted. And that was fantastic. And yeah, no, definitely so did. And if amazing. I didn't think in that way, by putting myself in their position and looking at what would they need. And remember, the goal was for them to say yes. Mm. So in, the only way that someone could mm-hmm. guarantee to say yes is if you tick all the boxes of what they would need. But in order for you to be able to tick all the boxes, right. you would have to have asked all the right questions. So questions. without you being That's able right. to have right. and it takes time to study that where you can say, well, what questions do I need to ask? You know, and this goes back down mm. to comprehension that you might have done in school, reading something and understanding it, that you could regurgitate that for someone to show somebody that you understand what that bit of text mm. said. And now you need mm. to interpret it. Now give a metaphor to it. Now give a simile to it. Now give me another scenario that has nothing mm. to do with that, but keeps the same principles as the paragraph you just read. Then now you're showing mm. overstanding of That's this right. position. And now they're like, yeah, this is a clever dude, man. <laughs> I need to work with this guy. Mm, mm, mm. And that's what it's about. Like, you've mm, got to be mm, clever. Mm. And and I never mm. liked the aspect of, mm. uh, 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 of a, a barber was a high school dropout he was never academically mm. good so therefore mm-hmm. he's not really that clever or that bright I never really liked mm. that idea mm. Mm. but no but it's, it's funny it's funny you say that because I, I, you know I look back in the career now and you just think all of the skill set the negotiation the understanding giving people what they want the kind of the the, the friendship thing or gaining clients, retaining clients, all of these skill sets are homed into, you know, what we do every single day. And there's not many jobs that allow us to, to function at that level constantly and every single day, keeping people happy, yeah. serving. Yeah, it's a mind, oh, well, yeah, body and soul There's not many jobs job. that you can do that. 
you know, and that's why, you know, yeah. I, I've even got a show that I'm doing next week and it's called You're More Than Just a Barber because I think we just mm. look at the cutting aspect of the job and want to get good. And now, obviously, the youngsters are now like, yeah, fade, 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 skin fade. I'm like, no, mm. no. Mm. <laughs> Bro, yeah, do, do some press ups. ups do some press ups. Get your chest out a little bit first. <laughs> With an OG, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but. Yeah, go back, Take you to, back basics to basics, and, man. <laughs> and, and, and this is why I'm always, yeah. always, always on about the theory aspect of it. Always on about the, um, how can I put it? Yeah, just on about the theory and understanding that. You know, I, I mean, I wrote a, an article in, not an article, I wrote a chapter in the national textbook to do with the muscles in the face when doing face shaving and massaging, which... Mm. stunned a lot of people because they're like but well, I thought you was a design specialist I go yeah but I worked alongside beauty therapists as well I do facials in the salon and I do read mm. my books too <laughs> so yep I have no problem in writing this chapter absolutely no problem and I'm like okay and then when they got it back mm. they were like wow this is amazing MK this is a really good chapter this is actually better than your design chapter I'm like mm. <laughs> thank you but it, it, it's just being able to say to yourself, right, what am I going to devote to this craft? You know, and you don't have to do much, you know, Chris. You really don't. I, I believe you mm. can just do five minutes a day. I seriously believe just do five mm. minutes of studying mm. every day in your craft. And I don't care if you're just going to watch a DVD on YouTube, which you can do now. When I started, mm. you had to pick mm. up the damn book because mm. there was no YouTube and Instagram and Twitter <laughs> and Facebook. Nope. To, to, to nope. explore and indulge. Nope. I, I, you know, I came from the year of the the, the the age of get your ass off your get your butt off that chair, get to the bus stop, get on the bus, get off the bus, walk to the library. Can I have this but um this book? They take you to the section. You get the book. You go sit down. You look at the book. You decide if you want it. You go back to the desk. You say, "Can I have it?" She stamps it. You get back on the bus. You get back to your house, and now you start reading. <laughs> Like, look how long it took for me to say that. I'm sure the youngsters right now might be listening to this and going, this is long. I don't even want to hear this. Let alone, let alone do long. it. I've got nosebleed. <laughs> but that's what we came from. So patience is kind of, yeah. is kind of within us. And now with so much at your fingertips, there is so much room for distraction. And with the distraction, mm. makes you have the lack of discipline for focus. Because you're always looking mm. for something next, 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 next. Nothing can mm. sustain your interest. Mm. So you have to take the mm. time out to find out what sustains your interest. What is your your life song, mm. as it were? You know what I mean? And everyone's had a song that you mm. really, really love. You play it and it's like, yeah, this is my jam. And then next month, mm. you don't even want to play it. Mm. You've been mm. playing it for a whole month, every single day. You had it in your house. You had it in the car. You took it to work. You then know, do the same thing on the way home, and you play it now, and you do that for the whole mm, month. Mm, now, mm, now, all of a sudden, you don't want to play it that much, and then it gets lesser. Next thing you know, you, mm. you, you go to a party, and it's two, three, four years later. I remember this song. This used to be my jam, and and it's, it's, it's <laughs> it just goes to show that if you're gonna take this live song called barbering, you better have a remix for it. You better have, you mm. better be doing rewrites of this. You better be exploring why you like that song and what that song does for you when you hear it. And how does it make you feel on the backbone mm. and your feet? And what does it do for you internally? And is it is it the drums that you like? Is it the piano that you like? Is it the symphony in the, that you like? Is it the chorus that you like? Is it the melody? Is it the beats? Is it the, is it the tone of the singer? Is it the lyrics? Like you have to do that about your about your career because if you don't, it will be a song that will soon get boring. And the fact, man, let me just add a little bit to that because it, it just it's amazing the, the, the pearls of wisdom. But even to the fact that if you're smart enough, if you know so well, you could produce yeah. your own song and remix it. And that's that's when the next goes. Yeah, to the you next gotta level. be you like that song, I thought that I told you that we song, won't stop. I thought I told you that we won't it. stop. Yeah. Uh, well, don't do that. We won't stop. <laughs> like literally, you gotta, you gotta, you've actually gotta be that way. You've gotta come up That's with it. a remix all the time, and and remix your your your, your craft. Yeah. But yeah. it's not to say you're gonna put that down. Yeah, you know, you might still like that, but 
maybe you might just say, you know what? I'm going to come out with my barbering album. And that's when you might put mm. your, as you do, you put your collection together and you present it. You know what I mean? Mm. And mm. everyone has their different mm. paths, but you can mm. find your collection in, with whatever way you want to do it. It might not necessarily be your collection as a, a, a set of haircuts. It could be a level of, it could be a set of services that you do in your salon. It could be a way that you look to uh, present yourself when you uh, go to shows. This is going to be my theme for this year when I present, you know? And it, you can just go around your craft like that, looking at different ways you can reinvent it and change it to suit your personality. Mm, that's it, man. This is amazing stuff, MK. So, MK, let me tell you something. I'm asked a question. What one piece of advice? So, let's say if you like a, a, a I think I know what you're going to say anyway, but I'm going to just let you say because we're going to just wrap this all up together in a nice little package in a bowl for all these listeners right now. What's the one piece of advice that you would just lay down on somebody coming through the industry right now or to inspire somebody? One piece of advice. What do you mean? To inspire them or to... Just right, MK's one drop wisdom, only one drop. You can't, it's like one dub, you can't even remix it and put it back. You just say, This is this is from me, and you put quote MK the barber or MK the stylist. This is my my wisdom, one piece mm -hmm. of wisdom, right? My one piece of wisdom mm -hmm. make you think, huh? Would be drop check it. yourself before you riggedy wreck yourself. Oh man! But now we that's got two the nights, truth, brother. man. Because you always have to be in question. You have to always be in question of self. Yeah, that would allow you to question the outside of self. So for you to have sympathy for someone else, Might you have up. to have sympathy for yourself. You have to check yourself. What would hurt me? What was my interest? And that allows you to then look for the interests of others. You don't go nowhere with a with a cup half full mm. so check yourself mm. before you really wreck yourself before you wreck man man that's it man that's, that's a dub plate right there Ems, it's been amazing talking to you man for the Profit Profile podcast and all these people listening right now I hope you give massive amount of respect to this guy right now because like I said we you know it's been years we've been like I know and been, it's so hard in this game man. it's just been amazing in, in detail like what, twenty-seven years? Like you can't cover that in an hour. It's just, it's just, it's impossible. Nah, it's like you a can't, but you like know that little, that little caption at the, the you know the front of the magazine that tells you what's in the magazine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. The blurb, I know. That's it. That's it was just that blurb, as they say, the back of the book, the blurb. <laughs> so that's that's the thing, though. I mean, like I say, I think attention spans of people is is about an hour on these things. So. I wish I could do four hours. It's funny I had another chat with someone yeah. else. If it's, oh, well, we could chat for hours. I know we could, yeah, but yeah, it's whether it. or not people will listen. <laughs> uh, it's just been amazing, man. So enough no, love, my brother. Thanks again care, for man. joining us. Oh, I hope you enjoyed that. You know what to do next. You need to rate and subscribe to this podcast to make sure you get notified when another episode that inspires you, that makes you chuckle, gets launched on this podcast. So guys, really appreciate you. Love that you rated this podcast. At the moment, we're getting five stars. So super excited and really happy that you are actually rating this podcast. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I am Chris Foster, the Profile Guy, helping you develop amazing careers beyond the chair.